This morning, God's word comes to us from the Gospel of John, John chapter 1. We're going to begin our reading this morning at verse 9 and then read just through verse 13 of this chapter. John 1, beginning at verse 9, what we hear now is God's word. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Here we are in the reading of God's holy word. Well, we continue with our series on the application of Christ's redemption in our lives, or what we have called the Ordo Salutis. And as I was preparing this sermon this past week, I realized uh, as we go step by step, uh, I don't think I've ever told you how many steps there are in the Ordo Salutis. How long is this going to go on? Uh, There are eight steps in the Ordo Salutis. We have talked about effectual calling. We have talked about regeneration. We have talked about that twin step of faith and repentance. And last time, we talked about justification. After today, we will have three more sermons, three more parts of the Ordo Salutis, uh, sanctification and perseverance, and glorification. Today, we talk about that fifth step of the Ordo Salutis, the step of adoption. And children, I'm sure even you know what adoption is. Adoption is when someone is brought from one family into another family, and they become a part of that new family. When we talk about adoption with regard to the Ordo Salutis, with regard to the application of redemption, we are talking about us being brought into a new family, being brought into the very family of God and made His sons and daughters. Adoption, as a part of the Ordo Salutis, is sometimes overlooked theologically. If you look at systematic theologies, these are books that describe things like the Ordo Salutis, both in Louis Burkhoff and in Charles Hodge, two major systematics in the Reformed and Presbyterian tradition, neither of them deal with adoption as a particular part of the application of redemption. 
No, it is theologian John Murray, whose name I have mentioned a number of times, whose book, Redemption Accomplished and Applied, I am using as a major resource in this series, both in that book and in John Murray's collective writings, talks about adoption as a particular part, as a distinct step in the application of salvation in our lives. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, adoption. I said, it, 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 it's important for us to recognize this as a particular step. Adoption is often collapsed into one of the other steps. It is sometimes collapsed into regeneration. Now, we talked about that. Regeneration, that movement from darkness to light, when we are given new life, brought from being dead in transgressions and sins, and by the power of the Holy Spirit made alive to the things of God, being taken from the kingdom of the world and brought into the kingdom of God. And, it's, and there are times in theological uh, books where, where adoption is talked about there, that change that takes place. Sometimes it's collapsed into justification. We talked about justification. That declarative, forensic act by which we are declared to be not guilty. We talked about a change of status. Though we are guilty, we are declared to be not guilty. And beyond that, all the obedience and righteousness of Christ is credited to us. A change in our status. And sometimes adoption is talked about there. But there's something distinct and something wonderfully beautiful about adoption beyond those two categories of redemption and justification. Adoption is a personal blessing. We are brought in to the family of God. We are made members of his household. Yes, there is a change in our status. We talked last time about a, a judge in a courtroom declaring someone not guilty. To, to extend that analogy, beyond being declared not guilty, the judge now takes us home and makes us a part of his household. That's adoption. There's a beautiful personal apprehension of what is going on, which is why John Murray calls adoption the apex of our privilege and standing. Adoption is the apex, the highest part of our privilege and standing with God. To have Him as our Father. We talk about recognizing God as Father. We know that God's fatherhood has a different aspects to it. God the Father, there is an, I would use the term, there's an intertrinitarian part of God's fatherhood. God the Father is the Father of Jesus Christ. But Christ's sonship is not like our sonship. Christ is the eternal, natural Son of God. His sonship is distinct, it is unique is why the older translation used the word only begotten to highlight that distinction. Or some of the newer translations, he is the one and only son of God. 
Christ's sonship is different than our sonship. I find it interesting in the Gospels describing the life and words of Christ. There is no time where Jesus prays with his disciples and refers to God as our Father. There's no time when he prays with his disciples and refers to God as our Father. When he teaches them to pray, he says, when you pray, you should say our Father. But no time when he prays with them does he say our Father. And in fact, in fact, after the resurrection, when he appears to Mary, he says, go and tell the disciples, I am going to my Father and your Father. I am going to my God and your God. Jesus' sonship is distinct. It is unique. Our catechism bears that out. When it asks the question in Lord's Day 13, why is he called God's only begotten Son when we also are God's children? Because Christ alone is the eternal, natural Son of God. We, however, are adopted children of God, adopted by grace for the sake of Christ. Christ's sonship is unique, different than ours. Sometimes God's fatherhood is connected with his creative power. As if, since God created everything, he is the father of everything. In Acts chapter 17, we have that wonderful sermon that is given by Paul, and part of that sermon is this regarding God, for in him we live and move and have our being, even as some of your own poets have said, we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone or an image formed by the art and imagination of man. We are indeed his offspring. But just because God is creator of all does not make him father of all. In fact, in Scripture, God is never, we never hear about the phrase, the fatherhood of mankind. God's the father of all mankind. Yes, he is creator of all, but he is not father of all. No, his fatherhood we recognize as something distinct and part of our redemption. Look what we read in verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, to those who received him, to those who believed him. This, this father-child relationship is a special relationship we enter into by faith to those who receive, to those who believe, we are brought into that intimate fellowship with God. It is only for believers. 
For those who have been chosen by God, for those who have been called by God, those regenerated by God, those given the gift of faith and who have repented, those who have been justified, those who believe are now the children of God, adopted children with wonderful privileges. And what I find so interesting is in this, in this section of John, he not only speaks in terms of privileges, but he speaks in terms of rights. Now, we as believers don't often talk about our rights with regard to God, but look what he says in verse 12. But to all who receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. For those who are believers, we have certain rights before we get too ahead of ourselves. Even those rights that we have are gifts from God. We have not earned them. They are given. Again, from verse 13, right to become the children of God who were born not of blood or the will of the flesh or the will of man, but born of God. Even these rights that we have are a gift given to us by God. Not rights we have earned, not rights inherent in ourselves, but rights given to us by God. We read about that earlier in 1 John chapter 3, where John said, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. The kind of love we have been given that we should be called children of God, the blessing of belonging to the Father. God has always had a particular concern for the fatherless, for the orphan. We read it, we saw, just sang about that in Psalm 68, a father to the fatherless. And we've been brought into his family and given the right of position, the right of position as a son, as a daughter, of our Father, members of His family. We've been given the right of position and the right of provision. We look to God for His ongoing care. We look to Him to take care of us as a father takes care of children. Now, kids, your mom or your dad uh, go to work and they work very hard and they get a paycheck and they go to the store and they buy groceries so that you can have food on the table and you can have clothes to wear to school or whatever it might be, and you say, thank you, Mom and Dad, for taking care of me. And that's right, that's proper. But ultimately, it is God who is taking care of you. It is God who is giving your mom or your dad the ability to go out and work, who has given them that job to do. God is the one who ultimately cares for us, His provision for his children. And as a father, as a father, he knows what we need. Sometimes we think we know what we need, but as a father, he knows. He knows what we truly need, and he will provide those needs for us. And God, God our Father, is never frustrated in his provision. Sometimes we as fathers wish we could do more for our children. God never feels like that. God knows what we need, and he will provide what we need. We have the right of provision as we look to him day by day, which is why we continually pray to God to meet all of our needs. 
We have the right of position as sons and daughters. We have the right of provision, not only for our physical needs, but for our spiritual needs. He brings us into his family through the forgiveness of our sins by Jesus Christ. He's met our deepest need. He has washed us and cleansed us from all of our sins. This is the blessing of belonging, the blessing of being a part of his family, the blessing of of knowing the gospel and embracing the gospel. We are made a part of his family through the work of Jesus Christ. So the call goes out again this morning to to know Jesus Christ, to embrace him. He is the one spoken about in our text in John. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world who will enlighten our minds, enlighten our hearts, enlighten our souls to embrace him, to know him. That's his call to you this morning. And being brought in by the power of Jesus Christ, you are then made a son and daughter of God. The, The privilege of provision for your spiritual needs. And the encouragement then of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who indwells the church, who knows our hurts, who knows our desires, and who provides comfort and care for his people. These are the blessed rights that we have as children of God, rights of position, rights of provision, and rights of protection. Protection. A father protecting his children. When our kids are little, and they're starting to take their first steps. We, we have our hands there to kind of hold their hands and we're ready to catch them if they fall. Those hands of a father ready to protect the child. When they get a little bit older and they're, they're riding their bicycle for the first time without training wheels and we kind of ride along, run alongside them to try to make sure that they're okay. We have our arms ready to catch them. In a, in a spiritual way, that's what God does for us. He has his arms around us, prepared to catch us when we fall. He gives us protection. How does he do that? He does that through his word. He teaches us the path of safety, the path of blessing. He teaches us how we are to live. Those are his loving hands around us, caring for us, ready to catch us when we fall. He does that in the church through those whom he has appointed to care for us. He does that through the eldership, to those who protect us spiritually, who bring us encouragements, and at times who brings us, us rebukes. These are the loving arms of our God and the privilege of protection. He is the one who delivers us from evil. We pray that prayer, deliver us from evil. He is the one who, when we make those evil choices, calls us back to leave those sinful ways, to to fight against the devil and the world and even our own desires. The blessed right of protection as a father cares for his children, our father cares for us. And as children of God, we need to look like children of God. We need to, to recognize our adoption. And we read about that when Paul speaks in Romans chapter 8. He says this, For you who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption 
as sons of God. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Spirit himself bears witness with us that we belong to God. Were it not for the fact that the Spirit bears witness to this truth, it would be the height of hubris to say, I am a son, I am a daughter of God. But he is at work. And his Spirit bears witness to us that we are God's children. We have been brought in to the family. And now we are responsible to live like children of God. To live like his sons and his daughters. When our kids are little, they want to please their parents. They want to do what makes mom and dad happy. That must be our desire toward our Father in heaven, to want to live in a way that is pleasing to him, to, to walk in his ways, to trust in his word, to trust that he knows better than we do. So often we read the truth of God's word and how we are to live, and we say, but I think I know better, just like our children do. We're to recognize his fatherhood. Recognize that we are brought into this glorious family and then walk in the ways that he calls us to. To act like children. Again, from 1 John chapter 3, that text that we read earlier. 1 John chapter 3. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Pursues righteousness. Pursues holiness. That's our call as children of God. Our actions toward God, our actions toward our neighbors are to be those actions of sons and daughters of our great God and Father. If someone were to evaluate your actions this past week, would they say, that looks like a child of God? If someone were to evaluate your words this past week, would they say, that sounds like a child of God? This is our calling, to live in a way that brings glory to him. If they were to ask our employer, does your employee work like a child of God? Children, if we were to ask your parents, do you look like children of God? Parents, if we were to ask your children, do you look like children of God? What would they tell us? We know that we often fall short of this glorious calling, this great privilege, this, this apex of blessing. And so God, by his word and his spirit, encourages us and strengthens us. And in a particular way, we are going to enjoy that next Sunday morning as we come to the table of the Lord.
This week we are going to examine ourselves. Are we acting like sons and daughters of God? And if the answer to that is, I need to do it more, then God gives us provision. Provision when again next Sunday His Word will be opened and the table laid before us, the physical gospel laid before us that we can take and eat and take and drink and be strengthened by God Himself that we might live like His children. Adoption, a particular blessing to be a child of God. When our kids uh, were high school age and they would leave the house to go out, uh, one of the last things I would say before they walked out the door, I would say, make good choices. Make good choices. We're preparing to leave our Father's house to go out into the world to live as His sons and daughters. People of God, make good choices. Rely upon His Word. Rely upon the strength of His Spirit to live in a way that that brings glory and praise to our Father. Recognize this apex of privilege. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget whose you are. That you've not only been forgiven, you've not only been justified, but you have been adopted. Children of God, that's what we are. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, we are so thankful for all the blessings of salvation. We are thankful, O oh God, that you wash us from all of our sins. We are thankful, O oh God, that you grant us the righteousness of Christ. And we are thankful and amazed that you bring us into a familial relation with you. You are our Father. We are your children. Help us to appreciate, Lord God, that glorious blessing. What it is to be a son, a daughter of the God of heaven and earth. And help us, O oh God, by the power of your spirit to live in a way that reflects that truth and which brings glory to you. We are weak in ourselves, unable to do it. So we thank you, O oh God, for the strengthening which you give through your word and by your spirit. Hear our prayer. For Jesus' sake, amen.